Okay, so we can get started. So when we left on Monday, we were talking about non-specific defense. We were talking, we were starting to talk about complement, and we sort of put up this this pathway diagram. Showed the classical pathway. We need antigen and antibody to be present for this C1 molecule to be able to bind to an to an antibody molecule. MBL, which is very similar to C1, is going to be able to bind to right, uh, uh, cell wall components to mannose, and it's going to start the activation of be like C1 and start activation. Or we have the alternative pathway driving through these common components and setting up the punchline over here for the membrane attack complex. So that's what we were talking about, these early terminal components. We talked a lot about C1, the C1 molecule being basically this tri-molecular complex of C1Q, C1R, and C1S. When C1Q uses its globular heads to bind to the FC portion of the antibody molecule, the conformational change is going to expose C1R or C1S, and then C1R is going to be involved with the pathway to be able to activate the follow the, the complement components in the pathway. We talked a little bit about IgM. In circulation, IgM has this planar formation where the, the molecule is sort of basically flat. And when it's going to be able to bind to an antigen or an epitope on the surface of some bacteria, let's say, it's going to take on this spider form where these FC portion of the, of the molecule is going to be pointing out so that the C1Q component of C1 is going to be able to bind, and that's going to start the complement activation cascade. So to sum up the classical pathway, right, we need immunoglobulin to start. Well, I'm going to say usually need immunoglobulin because I sort of lump the classical pathway and the, and the lectin pathway together. So we, if we need immunoglobulin to start, we're talking about the classical pathway. But if we have that uh, MBL binding to a mannose component, then we're going to start the, MB, uh, the lectin component. But for classical pathway, we need immunoglobulin to start because that's what the C1Q is going to be able to, 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 to bind to. Okay. It's usually going to start on the cell that the antibody is bound to, so the complement proteins themselves aren't floating around. So let's sort of put that into our famous cartoon. So there's clearly our bacteria. So if the antibody molecule is here, right, and let's say this is the part of C C1Q of the C1 component, that's going to stay bound right here. It's going to bind to the FC portion so that now when all these other proteins are going to be activated, right, like C4 and C2 and C3, they're all going to stay a part of this complex. If you remember, we said the major thing that complement's going to be able to do, it's going to be able to be able to destroy this cell by cytolysis. That's what the membrane attack complex is going to do. So this is going to start the piling up of all these complement components that are going to direct their, their fire right here on the surface of that bacterial cell. Bless you, okay? So that's what's going to happen. They're going to stay together. And again, like I said before, it's the larger fragments are the one that are going to associate 
So C1B, C4B, C2B, C3B, they're the ones that are going to start building up and up and up. And in the smaller components, C4A, C3A are going to start to drift away. Right? And just in this picture form, antibody is binding to the epitope. We have to cross-link C1Q, cross-link the, the C1Q component so that C1R, C1S can be uh, exposed. That's going to start the, the, the activation of the C4 proenzyme, the C4 zymogen, and that's going to build up, and it's going to build up, and it's going to build up. Not bad. That's where we should have ended on Monday. <laughs> so now we're going to keep moving forward with complement. And the next pathway we can look at is going to be the alternative pathway. So the alternative pathway is going to be the first pathway that's going to be activated. We talked a little bit about this before. We're not going to give this bacteria the opportunity to start dividing and building up inside the body. We're going to be able to use the alternative pathway to be able to recognize something on the surface directly. We're not going to wait for antibodies to be there. We're not going to wait for antibodies to appear. Right? The alternative pathway is going to be the first one that's going to be activated. <clears throat> and in terms of the evolution of the complement system, the alternative pathway is phylogenetically the oldest one. So if we go out into the, into the harbor out here, and if we take some clam blood or we take some marine worm blood, we can find components of the alternative pathway in invertebrate animals as well. So that's what really shows us that this is part of the innate immune system, is that these invertebrate animals also contain these components. So the major thing that's going on here has to do with the C3 molecule, and also to a lesser extent the C4 molecule, right? Complement component 3 and complement component 4. So if we're looking down here at complement component 3, Right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about this C3 molecule being able to recognize right, mannose or something on the surface, on the microbial surface, that's going to start its activation. So C3 becomes activated. C4B remains behind. C3A basically floats away. C4B now is going to work on factor B. Right? And now we're going to turn this C3B into this next component, this C3BBB. All right? so, Let's talk about what's going on with C3 and what makes C3 so important in the complement cascade, right? because again, we're talking about C3 in here as well. So what do we know about C3? What we know about C3 is that C3 is a very unique sort of a molecule. It has this internal bond that is a thioester bond. And it has this internal bond, and it breaks very easily, and it's very active. <coughs> so if we look at the C3 molecule itself, so here's C3, here's this thiol ester bond right here. And you guys took organic chemistry a lot sooner than I have, so you know that this is very reactive over here. Right? So when this bond breaks, right, and we have activated C3B now, so here's the, the C3B itself. This says activated C3B, and it is activated C3B, but it's really activated C3. But anyway, so we have activated C3B. The C3A basically falls away. And now we have 
right? This active moiety, this thioester bond has now been broken, and now it's going to be very reactive with all sorts of different things around in the area, okay? So what's going to take place is the bond is very easily broken, it's very active, so if it's near a cell, it's going to be able to react with either, right, the, the carboxy groups or the amino groups of that amino acids that are close, and if not, it's going to be able to react with water. So if you look at that thiol ester bond, if you look at the, the way it's sort of laid out there, this can be activated by water. So here, the lie is revealed. When I told you before, you don't have to worry, you don't have any activated complement components floating around that it's such a powerful thing. Well, you do. So your, your C3 molecules inside your bloodstream are being turned on all the time by water. When you think about right, water and the ability of water to do a hydrophilic attack, Right? Water sort of sits like this, and the oxygen atom is out there. That's enough to activate C3. So C3 is going to become activated. Water is going to turn it on, and now we have this active component that's out there. If it comes close to right, some sort of amino acid, right, some R group hanging out out there, this is going to be able to bind to it onto the cell membrane. It's going to be able to bind and now start the complement cascade. If it's not close to anything, then another water molecule can come up and inactivate it just as quickly. So C3 in the bloodstream is turning on and turning off all the time. It's coming on, it's going off, it's coming on, it's going off. And this is referred to, right? as idling. Right? So that low level of constant rate of activation by water. It's going to kept, be kept in check by circulating inhibitors. It's going to be, be kept in check by the ability of water to inactivate it just as quickly. And it's always on and waiting. It's called C3 tickover or idling. So think about this system and what we have going on. The way I like to think about it is, I like to think about, right, when you're looking at all this sort of way for this stuff to be activated all the time and for this stuff to be sort of moving around all the time, I like to think about that movie Heat. Right? Everybody know the movie Heat with Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer and Tom Sizemore? They show it on TBS, right, at least three times a year, right? Three times a month. Heat is always on. Or... If you're not a big uh, Robert De Niro fan, perhaps you like to watch The Transporter, Jason Statham, right? Now they have that new movie that just gonna open up on Friday, right, called Drive. I don't know how that's not The Transporter in just another sort of, <laughs> but anyway, or think back, maybe you're old school and you like the original Dirty Harry movie, right? So, they're robbing a bank. Who's the most important guy when you rob the bank? Is it Robert De Niro who goes in with the gun? Is it Val Kilmer? Or is it Tom Sizemore? We're talking about heat now, right? When, when Robert De Niro jumps out of the car and runs into the bank, does he tell Tom Sizemore, oh, just go park the car, we'll be right back? No, Tom Sizemore has to stay right there 
Right? He's got to be in the car, ready to go. Right? He's got to be idling at the sidewalk. When Dirty Harry is eating his hot dog, right, and he tells the guy, oh, is that car still running on the, in front of the bank? Well, how do you know it's still running? Oh, because you can see the exhaust. Right? So the car has to stay there. You know, it's clearly right when Val Kilmer and Robert De Niro come running out, and Al Pacino is there, and they're, they're in the shootout and everything. Yeah, then they're the most important guys. But if they, you assume that they're going to get away with the bank robbery, right? Jason Statham is waiting outside. Tom Sizemore is waiting outside. Those guys are the most important guys. Right? So that C3 that's turning on and turning off and turning on and turning off and turning on and turning off, it's just there waiting. And if this bacteria happens to be in the area, C3 is going to bind, and then all the other components are going to start to bind and start to pile up just the way these components are going to start to bind and pile up. But it's always there. It's just waiting to become activated and start binding to things. If it turns on and there's nothing around, that's okay. We got inhibitors to keep it in check, right? We got uh, Al Pacino to show up and turn it right down, right? Shut it right off. We have water molecules that are going to be, be able to come in and bind, right, to that very active thiol ester bond, right? Water's going to be able to bind right here and shut it right down. It needs to be there so it, it has constant vigilance to be able to recognize, well not recognize, be able to bind to anything it may come into contact with. And when it binds to bacterial cell wall, and I'll tell you why it's going to work on bacteria in a minute, then those bacteria are going to start to die. We're not waiting. We're not waiting for three or four or five days for this to take place. We have that idling, we have that tick over. It's going to be able to bind instantly. So yes, you do have active complement components in your body. But don't worry, right? Let's, we seem to be protected good enough from it. Right. So, that's what we're talking about right here. This C3 is constantly being activated, and once it becomes activated, right, by interacting with those R groups or you know, interacting with water itself, then the complement cascade can start on the alternative pathway. Very important that all those things are going to start to take place. So when you sort of look at, this is a really, it's kind of a cool molecule. If you look at C3, there are a bunch of different proteins that have this thiol ester bond, and they all seem to be part of a spring-loaded sort of phenomena. So this thiol ester bond is sort of in here, and it's tight, and it's holding this molecule together, and it's very active inside there, and the second it gets broken, that's when this thing springs open, Right? C3A sort of leaves. C3A is there to, to keep it in check. C3A leaves, and now we have this active C3 molecule, this active C3B. So when this thing sort of becomes activated and it opens up, it exposes the active site for C3. And to, the, to a lesser extent, C4 also has this thiolester bond. And you can find this thiolester bond. There's a whole family of molecules that have this type of thiolester bond. Right? There's a molecule that's called alpha-2 macroglobulin. It's, a, it's an inhibitor. And the way it works, right, if a protease comes inside and starts chewing away on that thiol ester bond, then alpha-2 macroglobulin basically springs around it and it traps it inside all the other components of the protein itself and it inactivates that protein. Right? So the C3 thiol ester bond 
right? This thioester bond happens to be an entire family of these active molecules. Okay? So, moving right along, right? Looking at what's going to come up next. Before we look at that, right? Let's sort of look over here. So now, what have we done? We have mannose binding lectin. We have the classical pathway. Now we have the alternative pathway, right? They're all happening at the same time, right? We talked about that before. But let's look at the big picture. We're moving from these, these opening sort of components to get to right here, right? We're going to try to turn on C3, the C3 molecule. So in this picture, you could say, well, well, we're turning on C3 over here. Yes, we are, but look at how thin that line is, right? The thin blue line, right? It's very, very thin. When we look over here, we get this really thick line. It means we're really turning on lots and lots and lots and lots of C3, right? These sort of active components, right? Again, we're, we're all starting to focus down, right? We're all starting to focus down to get to this membrane attack complex. So if we go from recognition of C3 to microbial surfaces, recognition of C1 with the C1Q of the, of the antibody molecule or that mannose binding lectin with mannose on, this, on the cell surface, we get to here, the C3 convertase. So we have a C3 convertase in the classical pathway, and we have a C3 convertase in the alternative pathway. And that's what we're driving to, to be able to turn C3 into active C3B. So that's sort of the next step in this direction that we're taking. So, in the alternative pathway, you saw we had C3B and we had right factor B. So factor B gets broken, factor, factor BA drifts away, factor BB stays there, so it's activated. So the C3 convertase in the classical component, there's C4B, there's 2A, right? They're the next two pieces, so C4A and C2, right? B, and that's what makes complement a little bit crazy, have floated away. So the, so, the, so the C3 convertase in the classical side is C4B2A. The C3 convertase in the alternative side is C3BBB. So now that we've turned on that, whoops, now that we've turned on this, now we need to turn on C5, right? Sort of the next molecule in the cascade. So these C3 convertases, when they convert C3 into C3B, now the C3 convertases turn into the C5 convertases. So the C5 convertase on the classical pathway is C4B2A3B, right? Because the C3 convertase was C4B2A. So C3 gets activated, C3B stays behind, so it's C4B2A3B. When factor D gets activated by C3, hold on, I'm on a roll, right? So we get C3BBB, that's the C3 convertase, turns on more C3 to turn into, C, into more C3B. And now the, five, the C5 convertase in the alternative pathway is C3BBB3B. Thanks, perfect. All right. So that's what we're driving. So everything's staying together, right? Everything's piling up. Everything's staying together. Nothing's, you know, certain stuff is floating away. But this is what we're driving towards, right? We're driving towards this membrane attack complex. Right? So, yeah, encore. So the C5 convertases are just the C3 convertases with active C3, with active C3B on the surface, right? And now we've gotten to where we need to get to.
right? Now we're going to deliver the punch, right? Because now we're going to assemble the membrane attack complex, right? So all this stuff that's going on here, right? We could take this and we could make this C3 and we got to have BB here, right? And this becomes, right, whatever the C3 convertase to C5 convertase. So now all this stuff is piling up, piling up, piling up, and now the big boys come. Right now, the membrane attack complex comes, and that's where we're going to knock the snot out of this bacteria. Right? What's going on right here? Yeah, it's okay because we said this before. Right? We have other cells with complement receptors on the cell surface, and we have other cells right with FC receptors on the cell surface. And yeah, they're going to be there. They'll be able to participate, but complement doesn't need them. Complement is going to complement right, the activity of the antibody molecule. Here comes complement. So the C5 convertases of both systems are going to activate those terminal components. Right? So once all those things start to get in there and they start to get set up, right, so it doesn't matter what we're looking at over here, right, we're going to, act, and for this example, we're, we're back looking at the classical pathway, but everything starts to pile up. Right? There's a C3 convertase. Everything starts to pile up. We've now made the C5 convertase, and now C5 is going to be able to enter, and now those terminal components are going to be ready to go. What we're going to do is we're going to destroy that bacteria. We're going to destroy cells by forming membrane pores. <clears throat> we're going to punch little holes in it. It's going to lead to osmotic lysis. So if we take these right, bacteria, if we take these bacterial membranes, right, we're going to turn it into this. Right? We're going to have all sorts of holes in there. And by osmotic lysis, right, we're going from an area of high concentration where there's a lot of salt into low concentration. So everything's going to flow out, bless you. Right? This is going to start to swell up and swell up and swell up, and bam, it's going to explode. And that's what we're trying to do. So. C5B to C7, right? We went from C5 to C6, right? So we're building it up. C7 has a lipid binding site. That's going to help anchor the whole complex right to the surface of the cell. Right? It's going to bind to the lipid components on the cell membrane. The C8 molecule, right? Once C7 gets deposited on the surface, then the C7 is going to be able to activate C8, complement component 8. It basically is going to make a transmembrane channel. So C8 is able to lyse the cell, but it starts out with a very small lesion, 10 angstroms or so. So it's a very small hole that it's going to be able to punch right in. It's not until C9 gets there. C9 is the, is the big brother. C9 is going to polymerize with about 12 to 15 other C9 molecules, and it's going to form this complex that's called poly-C9. And poly-C9 makes a much bigger hole, right? Almost 10 times the size. So we're going to go from a pinprick to a, I don't know, stabbing a pen through it. We're going to have all these holes all over the place. As it turns out, this C9 molecule is related to another molecule that does the same thing, and it's called perforin, right? Very clever for making perforations, making holes. And perforin is a component 
right? It's a pore-forming protein that we can find in other immune cells. Right? We can find it in T cells and a, and a kind of cell called an NK cell. So again, put that one in the back of your mind, and when we talk about cellular cytotoxicity a long time from now, right? Remember everything we're talking about for C9 right here. Right? So what do we got going on? Right? So this comes in. We're building up, we're building up, C7, C8, C8 starts the, and then C9 comes in and delivers the punch. So C5B activation takes place, C7 is going to be able to bind, and here comes poly C9. So all these C9 molecules polymerize, they come together, right, and they basically start forming, right, this big old hole that's going to be able to be on the surface of this bacteria right there. And that hole is going to be able to lyse the cell. So we can actually see C9, this poly C9, under the electron microscope. Right? So this is the C9 that's piling up to turn into poly C9. So this is the outside. Here's the hole itself. Right? So it sort of goes in there and just sort of pushes away and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as more and more and more of these C9 molecules polymerize together. And if we look at an electron, electron micrograph of some sort of bacterial cell, here's a pore, here's a pore, here's a pore, here's a pore. So everywhere you're seeing these pores, we have this uncontrolled seepage of cytoplasm out into the surrounding area. Right? So it's not, right? If this is a normal sort of bacteria, we have channels, we can bring water in, we can bring ions in, we have all sort of gated things, right? But this is not any of those. It's just a big old hole. Right? So all the components are going to come flowing right out. So right, let's go back in time with this picture. And what could we be looking at here? So here's poly C9. So we assume right, that everything else is on here. Right? The antibodies, let's say this is uh, something that was brought about by the classical pathway. So all the antibodies are in here, have to be in here someplace. Right? C1Q has to be in here someplace, C3, C4, right? the C3 convertases, the C5, right? all those things have to be piled on right there. So that's where an antibody was at one point in time. Here's where some sort of mannose residue was at one point in time, because mannose binding lectin binds there, right? It opens up, it's going to start to activate the rest of the complement cascade. Maybe right here, maybe this is where active C3 came and was close enough to this protein that is clearly on the surface of, that, of this bacteria, and it bound here, and everything else started to pile up. So, antibody here, MBL, and again, I'm just making this up. There was an antibody here, there was MBL here, there was C3 here. So all those things had to be there for C9 to be able to be there. Right? They've got to pile up and pile up and pile up right on top of each other. <clears throat> so if we sort of look at a normal bacteria in a saline solution, and again, Right? This, is a, this is a pore, this is a membrane that it's sitting on, and this is the pore size of, the, of this membrane, of this, of this piece of filter paper. So the liquid was able to go through this pore, but the bacteria is way too big. Right? So the bacteria are just sitting on, on the surface of this membrane, and we took a, a, a scanning electron micro, micrograph of sort of bacteria. So that's a bacteria that's got nothing to lose. It's just sort of sitting there minding its own business. Its brethren, right next door on this membrane, oh boy, it doesn't look so good, right? So this is all the components just sort of, sort of oozing out, 
So this is clearly a dead bacteria, right? Here's a dead, there's a dead. So these are all dead, and these are looking just fine. So again, right, C9 was here, so an antibody had to have bound here, or, mem uh, or MBL had to have bound there, or C3 had to be activated there. So that's what we're looking at. Once this hole is in there and we get this unregulated removal of the cytoplasm, it's dead. Right? So here is number one activity of complement that we talked about, cytolysis. That is a dead bacteria. All right, so now we know what the membrane attack complex does. This is the punchline. This is what we're looking for. We're trying to kill those invaders. Doesn't matter. This could be a bacteria. This might be able to be some sort of fungus, right? This could be some sort of cell. We'll talk about the some, some sort of cell that it could be in some sort of autoimmune diseases when the immune system goes bad, right? This could be one of our cells. Okay. We've got a whole bunch of ways that we're going to control that from not happening. So this is the end product of the membrane attack complex. This is the end product of all of those, uh, where are we? There's one, right, of all of this taking place, right? So here we are, way out here. But wait, there's more. So we've been talking about this throwaway stuff right here, right? This C3A, this C4A, this BA, this C2B, C3A, C5A. We've been talking about that as basically just nothing, right? Okay, it breaks and it goes away. Nature don't work like that. All of these components have some sort of biological activity. Those pieces are called split products or spit products. We just, for us, they've just been a throwaway line. Yeah, they float away. C3B is much more important than C3A. C5B is much more important than, C5, than C5A. Right? C4B, C3B become part of the complex and they are needed for that pore Right, of poly C9 to form, but right, nature does not waste anything. So there is biological function, or there are biological functions of these split proteins. Their major function is to be an anaphylatoxin. Right, so C5A, C3A, C4A, they're all anaphylatoxins. Right, so, what's an anaphylatoxin? Anaphylatoxin is a mediator that's able to increase vascular permeability. It's going to bind to mast cells and basophils, and it's going to stimulate them to release their mediators like histamine. Right, we haven't talked about histamine yet, but you kind of got to feel, right? Histamine is one of these uh, uh, mediators that are released by immune cells, right? Whenever you watch one of these commercials on TV, right, they talk about antihistamine. So histamine is important for certain things. We'll talk about that in great detail later on. But what are we talking about in terms of vascular permeability? Okay? All right, vascular permeability. Let's go into sort of, right, circulation anatomy 101. So what, am, what are we looking at in terms of circulation anatomy? So here's a capillary, right? And we got all of our arterioles and our arteries on one side and all our venules and veins on the other side. 
Right? Here's our endothelial cells that are lining this capillary vessel. Right? And this goes on for miles and miles and miles. Right? We've got lots and lots of capillaries. Right? The circulatory system gets finer and finer and finer. And it's in the capillaries that most of the things that need to take place are going to take place in the circulatory system. If you took your entire circulatory system right, and sort of stretched it all out, I don't know, right? they say go from here to Cleveland, right? it's sort of that big. Right? You have all this sort of branching out and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. All right, so what's happening out here at the tissue level with your capillaries? So your heart's out here someplace. Clearly that's a human heart. And it's beating, right? And it's forcing blood. With every sort of beat, it's forcing blood through. Right? You can't feel this because it's happening, but right? Heart beats, it pushes, right? There's a the thump, thump, right? And then it resets itself, and it pushes again, and then it pushes again, right? Clearly, along here, you have a whole bunch of valves, right? With their muscles that sort of sit here, and your valves keep your blood flowing in one direction. If it didn't, right, your blood would never flow, right? You can take your, you can take your sort of, your vessels here, if you push backwards, all those little bumps that sort of push up, those are where all your valves are. So, your, blood's, your, your blood is beating, your heart is beating, it's forcing blood through. In terms of what blood needs to do, right, blood needs to get out into the tissue spaces. If we're, even if we're looking at those very thin capillary beds, and we're looking at all the, right, so this is the rest of the tissues. When you get past the basement membranes of here of the circulatory system, when you're, other, when you're on the other side of the endothelial cells and you're looking at, right, the actual architecture of the, of the capillary itself, right, it gets through the basement membrane. And then here's everybody else in your body, right? Your body is made up of how many trillions of cells, trillions and trillions, most of them, aren't even close to your capillaries. So someplace way over here, right, there's going to be another capillary bed. Right? And with this is, right, again, this is your tissue spaces out here. So this cell out here, right, that cell needs to be taken care of, needs to be nurtured, needs to be able to get oxygen. It needs to be able to get rid of carbon dioxide. It needs to get amino acids. It needs to get rid of nitrogenous waste. This is what the circulatory system always does, does as well. So, blood beats, blood beats, well, sorry, <laughs> heart beats, heart beats, heart beats. There's enough space in here that a little bit of liquid gets through. You don't have to be concerned. It's what, you know, this is what keeps your blood pressure. Right? This is what blood pressure is all about. So a little bit of liquid gets through. A little bit of red blood cells get through. There is low oxygen concentration out here in the tissue spaces because these cells are alive and well and they're respiring and do whatever they want, need to do. Your red blood cells, right? high CO2, low O2, your red blood cells get out here. When, you're, when your hemoglobin is exposed to high CO2 and low oxygen, it uncouples, and the oxygen leaves the red blood cell and floods things out here. At the same time that oxygen is leaving that hemoglobin, 
carbon dioxide is being picked up by the hemoglobin, and eventually, right, this is going to go right to your lungs, clearly those are your lungs, and in the lungs where there's high O2, right, and low CO2, that's going to uncouple carbon dioxide from your hemoglobin, and it's going to pick up oxygenated blood inside the lungs, right? That, cre that basically takes care of your red blood cell transport. The other thing that's going to take place in here as this liquid portion of blood goes through, right, amino acids are going to come out, and certain, right, nitrogenous waste is going to have to leave. So every microliter that goes out, every microliter comes back in, right? By the way, I'm lying to you right here, right? but I'll let you know about the lie on Friday. Right, so this is basic vascular permeability. Your vasculature, your blood system, your capillaries are basically permeable. Right? That has to take place. This cell that's way out here, or, and all its other brother and sister cells out here, they have to be nourished. They have to be taken care of. That's vascular permeability. What I'm saying is that C... 5A, C3A, right? Let's assume we got a whole bunch of bacteria out here, right? And they are in the middle of right, invading. We need to be able to know about what's going on out here. So when C3A, C5A gets released, mast cells in the area are going to be stimulated. They're going to release histamine, and then those areas in between those endothelial cells are going to relax a little bit, right? They're going to be able to relax. So, right, here's the luminal side, here's the cells being both together, here's the basal side. They're held together by these tight junctions, right? Histamine is going to act on these tight junctions and just relax it a little bit. Again, just like we talked about before, and in, in my cartoon here, I'm making it look like, right, we're, we're basically just pushing these apart. But actually, right, they sort of spread out and come back. They spread out and they come back, right? We're not really opening this up. Not all the blood is pouring out. But we are increasing vascular permeability because we need to get, right, stuff in the blood out there. So instead of having, right, this microliters worth of blood go out, Maybe we get a little bit more going out there. Right? We've increased vascular permeability, and now we're getting antibody molecules out there that are sitting around inside the bloodstream. We're getting complement molecules out there that are sitting around inside the bloodstream. It's just a way right, to get more stuff out into the tissue spaces. So we're increasing vascular permeability because histamine is going to act on these tight junctions and allow more liquid to get out there. It's a big, long way to say we're going to make the capillaries a little bit leaky. We're going to allow stuff to be pouring out there. Because, yes, there's probably complement out there, and yes, there's probably antibody molecules out there, right, from this normal sort of vascular permeability that takes place. But now, we increase it a little bit, we relax it a little bit, and then we get tons of liquid portion of blood being out there. 
So that's what those spit products of C5A and C3A and C4A are going to do for us. They're going to stimulate those mast cells that are out there to increase vascular permeability. Right? What else is going to take place? Well, we already talked about opsins. Right? We said complement molecules were opsins. We said antibody molecules were opsins. These are the opsonic components of complement. Substances that are going to be able to coat a target cell to, en to enhance phagocytosis. Okay. So C1Q, we already talked a little bit about C1Q. C3B, C3Bi, we'll talk about what the I means in a second. C4B, C4Bi, they're all opsins. Right. So we can get opsonic-induced phagocytosis. We said immunoglobulin is an opsin, right? So here's different pieces of C3A, C4B, right? Increase phagocytosis to be able to eliminate those bacteria. So they cytolysis directly and by acting as an opsin. So that took care of two of the things we talked about in the very beginning, what complement was going to be able to do for us. The other thing that these pieces are, they're also chemotactic factors. Right, chemochemical tactic movement. They're going to induce cells to go towards that location. So as this C5A starts to build up and build up and build up over here, right, because we got a lot of complement activation, and as more and more of these cells, right, because if we're making this bigger, more cells are going to be able to come through here. So by this chemotactic gradient, right, we got a lot of C5A out here, and as we get further and further away, we get less and less and less and less and less and less and less until we're out here. This concentration gradient, right, these cells will be able to respond to this, and they're going to move out, go along this gradient, move up this ladder, and that's how they know to get exactly to that spot. Chemotactics, chemotaxis cell movement based on chemical. The chemical here is C5A. But we have a lot of chemotactic factors in the body. We've got a whole bunch of things that are going on out here. And the idea here is we need to get these cells over here to participate in that phagocytosis or to participate in anything else that those cells can participate in. Right? So we have all this stuff that's taken place with these split proteins. The other thing that can take place is we can get a leukocytotic factor, leukocytosis, right? C3E, we'll talk about E in a minute, C3E is a leukocytotic factor. It's going to stimulate the release of leukocytes from the bone marrow, white blood cells from the bone marrow. Right? So in keeping with our anatomy over here, right, here's our heart, now if we go to the bone marrow, right? Sorry, long bone in your leg, let's say. I, could, I can't make your hip. It's easier to make a leg bone. So the C3E, again, is being generated in here. C3E gets into the bloodstream, starts traveling through. And as C3E goes through the bone marrow, it's going to stimulate white blood cells to leave the bone marrow and enter the circulatory system. Why? because we need more cells there. Right? The anaphylactic factors are allowing more chemicals to come out there, and more cells as well, more chemicals to go out there. So we're getting recruitment of fresh complement and fresh antibodies out there. Not fresh, but more. 
And now we need more warriors to take place over there. So that's what the C3E is going to be able to do for us. Now white blood cells are going to start pouring out of the bone marrow. And as they get over here, and we'll talk about how they get here and why they get here when we talk about inflammation next week or in two weeks. And those white blood cells that have left the bone marrow, they're going to leave and start to enter the battle as well. And so all this stuff is going to be able to take place. So all these things are happening at the same time. So mannose binding lectin is being activated. The alternative pathway is being activated. The, the, the classical pathway is being activated. We're basically driving towards this, right? Poly C9 being able to form. But we're also doing other things with those spit products. So all these things are taking place. All right? So what else is important for complement? What else is important for complement is we need to be able to control it. We have all this sort of active components in the area moving around. We have to be able to control it because complement is powerful enough to deal with us as well. So we got all sorts of regulatory molecules. We have, we have regulators of the classical pathway. We have what's called C1 inhibitor. Right? C1 inhibitor, it looks for C1S and C1R, and it acts as a pseudosubstrate and ties up C1S and C1R. Right? A pseudosubstrate is a substrate that will participate in the reaction, but it can't participate in downstream activities of that action or of that pathway. So once C1S and C1R get tied up by the C1 inhibitor, they can't activate C2, C4, or anything else. So that's a blood system protein. We have C4 binding protein, C4BP. It forms a complex with C4B, so C4B can't bind to C2. But that is kind of reversible, right? It can fall off. Right? Because what happens if we need to have more C2? So it's sort of controlling things in the area. But if factor I comes along, if factor I binds to C4B as it's binding C2, then it becomes C4Bi, right? C4B binding. So C4B becomes C4Bi, and that's irreversible. I said well, we would talk about what the I's mean. We also have regulation of the alternative pathway. Factor H can bind to C3B, right? C3B is activated, but it too is reversible. Factor I can come in and it can make it C3Bi. C3B irreversibly inhibited. We have all these different ways for this ability to be able to come in, right? So C1 inhibitor can come up here and tie up C1R, stops the reaction right here. Right? Factor H can combine to C3B or C4, factor I, I mean, right, can bind and make it irreversible. So we have that sort of activity taking place. We also have control of the membrane attack complex. So we have what's called S protein, a vitronectin. It's a plasma protein that's going to prevent C4BC7 binding to the cells. We have protectin. It's a cell surface protein. It binds to C8 and C9, and it inhibits C9 insertion. And we also have what's called homologous restriction factor. It's a cell surface protein. We're not quite sure how it works, 
but it interferes with poly C9. So why are these guys important? These guys are, are very, very important. Because right? protectin, it's also, it's also called CD59. We'll talk about what the CDs mean uh, on Wednesday. So CD59 and homologous restriction factin are probably the most important protectors of our cells during complement activation. Remember when I said that that activated C3 moiety, that tick over thing, is going to be able to bind to a cell? I never said it wasn't. I never said it wasn't going to be able to bind to one of our cells. We haven't been talking about anything that says that these things aren't going to be able to bind to our cells. We, as eukaryotes, have protectin and homologous restriction factor. Prokaryotes do not have homologous restriction factor or protectin. If they ever evolved to have molecules like that, I'm afraid the war would take a very bad turn. Right? So when all this stuff, when this activated C9, right, let's, I mean, we can talk about antibodies binding to cells, right, binding to our own cells. That's an autoimmune disease. We'll talk about that later on. Let's talk about what we could actually talk about today. When that C3 starts binding, right, if it's a bacteria, C3 will bind to it. If it's a fungus, C3 will bind to it. If it's one of our cells, C3 is going to be able to bind to it. But protectin and homologous restriction factor are going to stop complement from lysing our cells. Because protectin and homologous restriction factor aren't anywhere on a bacteria, complement has free reign to destroy that bacteria. It's one of the protectors of, or they are two of the most important protectors of us. Okay, we'll talk about receptors and then we'll start talking about cells on Wednesday.